Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Mueller. And this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. On this episode of Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay, we are highlighting chapter three from the book, Refine and Grow Lessons Learned on Navigating the Business World. And chapter three is titled, Ask Questions That Get to the Solution. So this advice, again, came from both Shanae and Justin and was presented to me by both of them in different contexts. But each chapter builds off of the previous. So in the last couple episodes, I was talking about my personal experience becoming a management consultant and navigating how do I do well in this brand new role and industry that I haven't been in using Justin and Shanae as kind of my mentors who helped guide me. I talked about what I learned while I was waiting to go on my first project. Then once I got on my first project, that meant I was now interacting with our clients and the stakeholders that I had. And one of the first things I asked Shanae was, how do I know when I should be speaking up in meetings? Because I'm coming from this place of, you don't know what you don't know. I want to find learning and everything. But I'm also thinking that if I don't speak up or add to a conversation, that I'm not adding value. You know, I'm just somebody sitting in a meeting who's not helping move the project along. And so when I asked you this, Shanae, you had said, well, you want to ask questions that get to the solution. So before you speak up in a meeting, especially like a large group, not talking one-on-one setting, but in a large group, you need to ask yourself if the question that you're about to say is going to move the group closer to the solution they're seeking. And if it's not, don't say it. (laughs) If it is, share it. And even in a one-on-one setting, if I was preparing to go meet with a client or stakeholder prior to going into that meeting, when I'm thinking through what are the outcomes I want to drive towards, what are the questions that I have, I would think, okay, well, the questions that I present need to be getting us moving me closer to the solution. And it was interesting because when I first heard it, I thought there must be some kind of exception to this rule where you ask a question and it doesn't necessarily get closer to the solution, but it's a good question that needed to be asked. And I could not come up with it. I never could find an example of that. But I learned a lot about where my thinking should be going in meetings by applying that. So what are your thoughts on that, on using this to navigate when you do and don't speak up? I think people are generally just curious people. And so sitting in meetings, you often just have a million things going through your head. I was saying earlier, I tend to have six different tracks of thoughts running through my head at any given time. And so people just tend to be curious people. And so you could be sitting in a meeting, Something can pop into your head and it's easy to just ask the question unless you take a moment to say, wait a second, is this question appropriate right now? Is this actually going to move us forward by asking this question or is this going to take us further off course? And so I think it's a disservice to yourself and the people in the meeting if you're not going to be closer to the solution or moving the group forward, even if it is just a curious question. Someone can ask a very meaningful question, but that maybe isn't in the direction of where you're going or a comment. And then the whole meeting gets derailed or the whole meeting goes into a separate direction. And then someone has to bring everybody back. And so it's really just taking a moment before you are contributing, taking a moment to say, where is this going to take the group once I say this or ask this question? 
And one of the more tangible tools that management consultants use when they're facilitating discussions to keep the conversation on track is called a parking lot. And that also is a more well-known tool that other professionals industries have caught on to and is more common now. But it means that if there's a discussion point brought up and you go down this different track that's not part of what's written in the objectives and agenda for the meeting. It goes in the parking lot. You know, you write it down and it's something you revisit at a later time and in the appropriate meeting. And this advice, Shanae, when you gave it to me, that's how I understood what types of items go in a parking lot and what is appropriate for the meeting. Right. And sometimes it's not obvious at first. Sometimes it takes some experience to see the things that will (laughs) veer you off a little bit. But yeah, definitely parking lot is a good idea. I keep my own parking lot. I keep a list of those questions that I have that I write down for myself that I decide aren't necessarily appropriate for that point in time. And the good thing about that is often with my own personal parking lot that I can figure out over time who I need to be talking to. So in addition to the group parking lot, I also keep my own yeah. And it's interesting how important you think a topic is in the moment. You yes. put it in the parking lot and people are kind of sad to watch it go away because they know we have to steer back on course for the meeting. And then you come back to it a day or two later and go, we don't have time for that at all. And it's not right. <laughs> important in comparison to everything else that's on our plate. One of the things I had asked you on the concept of applying this ask questions that get to the solutions to a meeting setting specifically was that sometimes in meetings, we are talking about how to solve a problem, how to get to a solution, but there's other times where I'm being assigned something or we're talking about context of a problem that apply to the action items that I know I'm going to own. And I don't quite understand what's being said. So I had asked you, what if I don't know what to ask? What if I'm not clear on how we're going to move towards the solution, but I also don't know what question to ask to get us there when Mm -hmm. people are talking about their ideas or giving me assignments on how to uncover more information about a problem or a potential solution. And you said, just use the phrase, can you say more? Where did that come from, Shanae? That was something that I just observed people doing. I'm not sure that say more is the exact phrase that I had observed, but that was most comfortable for me to say, hey, can you say more about XYZ? Just felt more natural for me, but it was something that I observed people doing. Another thing that I also do in the same context is put whatever it is that I'm confused about or think I might be confused about, put it in my own words and say, hey, can I confirm this? And often if I didn't get it, then the person will correct me and say it a different way again. If using the, can you say more about this, doesn't quite get you there, paraphrasing is another way to get to that information as well. Also, I talk about how every time I use the phrase say more, one of two things happened. They clarified the question that I didn't know how to articulate. Or as the person was saying more, I figured out how to articulate my question. I was able to hone in on what it was I was confused about specifically. And so that was super helpful for me because also almost like a way to keep the person on topic and give yourself a little more time to formulate what the question is. 
be. And the other thing I talk about, Shanae, that you helped me understand was how to remove the quote-unquote fluff from my communications. This is my first project, and I'm just starting to communicate with the Fortune 100 company. I'm, I'm nervous about making sure I come across as professional and on their level, able to help them, because they knew I was brand new. And so I had you read my emails before I was sending them. And you said, there's a lot of fluff. And I was like, what are you talking about fluff? <laughs> like, there's a lot of information that I don't need. I just need to know what you need. Why are you reaching out to me? <laughs> what do you need and when do you need it by? Just get to the point. And I also put a lot of phrases like, I think in there, or maybe we should, instead of just coming out and saying it, or I know. And you were like, if you think we don't have enough money in the budget, do you think that or you know that? And I'm like, I know that. We don't have enough money in the budget. Just be direct. <laughs> What are your thoughts on that, on refining your language and help the audience consume it a little better? For written and communications and when you're speaking to someone, you just have such little time and people have such little attention. There's so many things going on. Just being direct and to the point and saying, this is why I'm here. This is what I need from you. And you can expand from there. Maybe the person who's receiving it will say, can you say more about XYZ? And then you can expand a little bit more, but making sure that you're getting your message delivered first so that they don't have to sift through to get to what you're actually trying to communicate. Yes, that's great. Justin, I start to talk about the second project I was on in this chapter and how you helped me apply the ask questions that get to the solution in a little bit different context. So the next project that I was on was super big and complex. A Fortune 100 company, same one, was expanding their supply chain capabilities across the world. The website that they sold some of their products on was going to be available to every country and territory in the world. And then additionally, they wanted to open up a couple of distribution centers in other countries, and they only had some in North America. And so the logistics and all of the details and information, there was just so much. And I remember meeting with the client for a couple of hours and then debriefing you as my manager on how can you help me figure out how to move this project forward, how to move towards the solution. I kind of just dumped all of the information on you, every angle of all the things we had to think through. You know, we're going to have to talk to attorneys about trade laws, all of that. And you said, listen, what is the business problem? Just tell me what the business problem is. And I repeated everything again. And then you said, no, but in one or two sentences, what's the business problem? And I didn't know how to articulate it. And I had to go away and think about it, but I was able to get it down to a couple sentences of this company, this group wants to expand their consumers that have access to their products and needs to do so by setting up these distribution centers and having everyone in the world access their website to order products. And when I simplified it just into one or two sentences and I took it to the client, the client loved it and was like, this is the business case. And everybody can now, in our meetings, we just show this is the business problem we're solving and everyone aligns to that. And it immediately makes everyone pivot to, okay, now what's the solution? Because we have the simplified 
simplified problem statement and we don't waste time debating what the problem is. So you helped me land, simplify the business problem. If the business problem is debatable, needs to be understood in order to get to the solution, then simplify it, write it down and get alignment to it so that you then can pivot to a solution-focused mindset. Do you remember that project and the complexities and that advice about clarifying what exactly the business problem is? Yeah, I think so. It's something I learned from a VP who brought me into consulting originally, and that was often in consulting with lead with solutions. We do the same in technology. Here's our platform, or here's our application, or here's our branded yada, 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 and here's what it can do for you. And we talk about features and functions, or we talk about how great we are, and we demonstrate very little curiosity as to what the customer's felt pain might be trying to understand where that pain might originate, diagnose the cause of that pain, and then also understand where the customer is trying to get to. And it's that gap between root cause or business problem, one might say, and desired outcome or business objectives that they're trying to achieve. The gap between those two is really where a solution starts to fit. So if you lead with a solution, you've automatically shut down the conversation and shut down your own understanding or even helping the customer understand what they're trying to solve for and where they're trying to go. And so because we don't know where we're starting and we really don't know where we're going, we're just leading with a solution. We may end up in some place that's completely irrelevant. I don't know if you guys have seen the news much lately, but there's been a lot of writing, particularly in British newspapers, around the value of consulting and the fact that a lot of people are spending millions and millions, if not billions of dollars in consulting services and getting very little expertise. And they're primarily going after kind of the big four white glove consulting firms. Think of the Baines and the Boston consulting groups. And I'm not here to disparage any of those organizations. I'm a big believer in consulting, but I think the core critique is really fair. If you don't understand what the business problem is, you don't understand the outcome that your customer is trying to go towards, and you really have no ability to deliver on the solution, then you're just really expensive unhelpful advice. And most of us get unhelpful advice all the time. And it's meaningless. It's more about the person providing the advice and the advice itself or the problem itself. And I have to remind myself of this. This is not something that's one and done, but what's the problem I'm trying to solve? And sometimes the customer, or in the case I'm in right now, the internal effort we're going after, it's why well, I feel pain. I have a flu. I have a headache. I'm achy. I've got congestion. I'm tired. I'm not sleeping well. Well, those are all symptoms. Those aren't really problems. Those are symptoms. And if I just treat the symptoms, I might not actually address the core problem. So I need to ask some questions. I need to be curious. I need to observe. And eventually then I need to take all that information, develop a hypothesis, and really then develop a diagnosis and then reach consensus that that diagnosis is correct. And that becomes the business problem. And then it's more questions, to Sinead's point, tell me more. It's more questions that lead to, well, where do you want to go? And if you got there, what would that do for you? And what else could you do if you were able to achieve a particular outcome? And then we know where we're starting, we know where we're going, and now we can chart a course. And there could be five or six different ways or more to bridge the gap between that business problem and the desired outcome. But if you don't know where you're starting and you don't know where you're going, then how can you even select the route that you're going to go? But then once you do know where you're starting from and where you're going, now you can choose the optimal route. You can kind of choose to use project management language. You can start to track critical path. Where do I absolutely need to go so that I can close this gap? And so for me, that's why business problems are so important. 
if you don't really understand the business problem and not even the customer or your stakeholders understanding of the business problem. But if you have not been curious, asked questions, loaded some hypotheses, tested those hypotheses, you're really never going to know what the root cause problem is. And, you know, I know a lot of people when you say, oh, root cause, root cause problem, oh, problem statement, that's so negative, so negative. Sometimes it's just facts. I don't think we do anybody any service by soft showing or routing the corners, but a business problem does become now an opportunity and an opportunity to do something positive for the customer, for the business, for the people who are being impacted by that change. So I think that's really where that originates and comes from. You got to understand the business problem. You got to know where you're starting from. Otherwise, how the heck do you know where you're going? Or at least where your origin point is. If I hop in my car and I don't even know where I'm going to go, how do I even make a decision about which direction I head in, what turns I make, what's the optimal route to get there. So that origin point, that end point, super important. Does that kind of get at the heart of it? Yeah. And as you were talking, you were touching on what I talk about learning after realizing how to articulate a business problem, the importance of getting the buy-in and alignment. Is that then was the stepping stone for me learning how to get to the heart of risks Mm -hmm. on a project and the mitigation? For sure. Once you kind of have that path defined, then you can start to really assess, okay, what are the potential roadblocks that we're going to run into? Yeah. And the other piece of advice you gave me with that was when you're trying to get to the root of the problem and get that alignment to what is the core root that we're trying to solve for, it's easy to get caught up and spin out on the problem and all the angles of that. And I remember that happening to me a couple of times in my career and coming to you about it, Justin, and you saying, you know, well, do you want to be a graduate student or an undergraduate student? Not knowing what you were asking, saying, well, I'd like to be a graduate student because that sounded like the best answer. (laughs) And you said, okay. (laughs) undergraduate student is always focused on the problems and the angles of that. How do we pull out more issues and problems? And the graduate student is going, okay, now how do we solve this? Yeah. So a former boss of mine, I'm sure he got this from somebody else. He's now a three-star general and in a fairly pivotal role up at the Pentagon right now. At the time he was a major and he used to tell all his company executive officers, of which I was one, there are three kinds of problem solvers. There's the high school problem solver, the undergraduate, I should say, that says, hey, sir, I have a problem. So great. You've identified a problem. Well, anyone can do that. The next level is really master's degree problem solvers. Like, sir, I have a problem and this is what I think we should do. And then he said the PhD level problem solvers said, sir, I had a problem and this is what I did to solve it. And now I'm just coming to let you know, so you're informed. And he very clearly told us, I want PhD level problem solvers. Don't come to me with a problem. Don't even come to me with a problem as resolution. Tell me how you actually solve the problem. And that was incredibly empowering because we realized we didn't have to ask for permission. We were smart people. We could go fix it. And so, you know, I've always found that very empowering to say like, hey, if you find a problem, great. Identify the risk, mitigate the risk, but enact the mitigation, go for it. Now there are times and places where it's appropriate to loop people in and mitigation strategy, but I always found that to be just incredibly empowering. That's all for today's episode. To order your copy of the book, Refining Grow, Lessons Learned on Navigating the Business World and access additional resources, head out to our website at refiningrow.com. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.